Good morning, everybody. Welcome again to our uh, live stream. We're so glad you're joining us. And we are continuing uh, our series on the book of Romans this morning. And today's message is kind of a continuation of what we talked about last week. In Romans 6, Paul begins to address some important questions about the Christian life, specifically about the reality of sin for the believer. And last week, Pastor Donna established a super important idea that because we are in Christ, because we have died to sin with him, we are no longer slaves to sin. As she put it, sin is not your master. You don't live there anymore. It's not who you are. And in our passage this morning, Paul anticipates a related question. A question that arises out of this idea of freedom. And the question is something like this. If I am free from sin, and if I am free from the law, then can't I do what I want? If I'm set free by grace, can't I live how I please? Last week, uh, our family celebrated my son Grayson's sixth birthday. And uh, as a lot of you guys know, having a birthday during COVID is a little bit challenging, especially for a little kid. We couldn't throw him a big birthday party, couldn't take him to Legoland or the zoo or Disneyland or somewhere cool. But at the same time, we obviously wanted to give him a special day. We wanted him uh, to have fun and, and feel loved. And so we came up with this idea and it's actually an idea we came up with last, with last year for Kaya, but we used it again with Gray because he liked it a lot when we did it for Kaya. And this is an amazing idea, so feel free to steal this with your own kids if you uh, need a special birthday idea. But on his birthday, Grayson got to be king for the day. Now what that means is that for the day, he gets to be in charge. He decides what we eat, what activities we choose, what we watch on TV, he's in charge. Now, before you go imagining the worst, before you start saying, hey, that's actually a terrible idea, that sounds awful, we did lay out some parameters before we did this. First, we told him the day doesn't officially start until 7.30 a.m. So mom and dad got to sleep in a little bit before you know, waking up to be bossed around all day. Second, he had to consider the whole family when making his decision. And basically what we, we told him was, look, there's a difference between a good king and a tyrant. Don't be a tyrant. Think about your sister. Think about mom and dad. Try to, you know, try your best to do something that others are going to enjoy. And finally, the last thing was that if he abused his power, the real king and queen reserved the right to step in and take over. So, you know, there were some limitations on his kingship. But even with all that, Gray had an amazing day. Uh, it was a lot of fun. Uh, and we all had a good time. For breakfast, Gray chose donuts and bacon. For lunch, we had Chick-fil-A. And for dinner, we had McDonald's. His boldest decree as king was that he got to have treats all day 
whenever he wanted to. So out on our dining room table was a bunch of little bowls with Starburst and Sour Patch and Paw Patrol fruit snacks, and he could kind of go grab one whenever he wanted to throughout the day, although he was careful not to abuse this right. We spent most of the day playing at the park, which was great because no one was there because all of the non-king children had to be at school or on their Zooms. We painted a paper mache dinosaur, watched the movie Cars 3, and we ended the day by having a family dance party in the dark before he went to bed. And again, it was a lot of fun. We had a great time. And you know, it was kind of interesting to see what choices he made when he had this kind of freedom. And in a way, this is sort of the kind of freedom that Paul has in mind in the second half of Romans 6. And in verse 15, he asks this hypothetical question. And similar to last week, this is a question that he imagines someone, he imagines this uh, hypothetical believer asking about the gospel. Romans 6, verse 15, he says, What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? Paul anticipates a potential problem in our understanding of the gospel. That some might look at salvation and think, hey, wait a minute. I'm not under sin. I'm not controlled by sin. I'm not under sin's authority. And I'm not under the law. I I don't have to do anything to earn God's love, to earn God's favor. I'm already saved by grace. God has declared me righteous. So isn't it okay if I use my freedom to just enjoy my life, to live how I want to? In this new era of grace and freedom, does it really matter how I choose to live? Now, before we continue, it's important for us to understand how this kind of question, this kind of attitude relates to us. Because I think it can be easy to to look at this, to, to think about this question and say, you know what, like, that's a little bit extreme. I know I can't do anything I want to. I know that sin is, is bad. But I do think there are versions of this that are prevalent in the church today. I think it can be easy to look at faith and say, you know, I'm, I'm saved. My salvation is already secure. And so even though it would be better for me to live in obedience, even though it would be better for me to follow Jesus 100% with my whole life, even though it would be better to not sin, it's not that big of a deal if I don't. I think at times we've taken grace to mean there really isn't any tangible consequence to choosing sin. And there isn't really any extra reward or blessing or benefit to living in obedience. And this can all lead to functionally the same attitude as the one Paul is addressing. Basically, my life is mine. I can do what I want to do. It doesn't totally matter if I don't deal with certain sins. If I hold on to certain idols, 
if I go to church on Sundays but live life my way, Jesus will understand. Now, just to be clear, we all sin, and we are all almost definitely always going to sin for the rest of our lives. And grace does mean that we are forgiven and loved in spite of that sin. The issue here is not the believer who struggles with sin. The believer who wants to obey, who wants to follow Jesus, but doesn't do it perfectly all the time. The issue isn't somebody who goes through seasons of devotion to God, but also seasons where God seems distant and wrestles with that disconnect and perseveres through. This kind of struggle, this tension is is part of the Christian life. And this passage will be meaningful for those of you who struggle in this way, who are just struggling with sin, struggling to grow spiritually. I think Paul wants to address you and share some really important ideas about your faith, about your life. But I think even more so, Paul wants to address the believer who tolerates sin, who accepts sin, who chooses to continue to sin, and views obedience as a secondary part of the Christian life. He wants to address this this dangerous distortion of the truth. And so in response to this, Paul gives a ruthlessly simple response. In essence, the passage we're going to look at is his way of saying this. You are either a slave to sin or a slave to righteousness. There is no middle road. Now, that might seem a little harsh, The slavery language might seem kind of unappealing, but it's a foundational part of understanding this complex relationship between sin and grace and obedience. And so let's go ahead and open up our passage this morning and and read the whole thing, and then we'll kind of unpack this key idea, unpack this statement that I just made. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Romans chapter 6, verse 15. It reads, What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? By no means. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one you obey? Whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart, the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. I'm using an example from everyday life because of your human limitations. Just as you used to offer yourselves as slaves to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness, so now offer yourselves as slaves to righteousness leading to holiness. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. What benefit did you reap at that time from the things you are now ashamed of? Those things result in death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness and the result is eternal life. 
For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So once again, this key idea, you are either a slave to sin or a slave to righteousness. There is no middle ground, no middle road. One of the things that uh, I, I really enjoy that I like to do uh, maybe a, a few times a year is going to watch a baseball game. I generally like baseball. I like eating hot dogs and nachos. And I like just the feeling of being at a ballpark, the sounds, the smells, just the, the whole experience. And I am a pretty big Dodger fan, as I've shared in the past. But I am not a big enough Dodger fan to want to drive all the way to L.A., deal with parking, deal with traffic, drive up that hill, and, you know, deal with all the, the chaos of going to a Dodger game. So when I want to go to a baseball game, I will usually just go uh, to watch the Angels play at Angel Stadium. Now, I like the Angels. They're fine. They're not up here with the Dodgers, but it's not like they're the Clippers. So it's fine. When I go to an Angel game, I root for them. I hope good things happen. I, I, I want them to win. So then I, you know, I'll stand up and cheer when everyone else is standing up and cheering when the angels do good things. But at the same time, I don't really care. Like, I don't care, care. If the other team hits a home run, like if I was at a Dodger game, I, I'd be dying inside. I'd be like, oh, man. But if I'm at the angel game, I'm like, oh, that was actually pretty cool. I wouldn't mind seeing them hit another home run. If a big star player comes up, let's say like Aaron Judge on the Yankees, if I was watching a Dodger game, I'd be like, man, I, I hate this guy. Like sports hate this guy. But if I'm at the Angel game, kind of secretly hoping he does something really cool, like, man, maybe he'll hit a 450-foot home run. And this is kind of actually a nice way to watch a baseball game because I'm just kind of in the middle. And in our passage this morning, one of the most important things we have to recognize is Paul's use of contrast. What Paul wants us to see is that this kind of middle road for life doesn't exist. There's no living for Jesus, but doing whatever we want. There's no being saved, but tolerating and choosing sin. There's no playing for Team Jesus, but kind of enjoying the exploits of Team Sin from time to time. Paul says in no uncertain terms, there are two choices, slavery to sin or slavery to righteousness. This kind of middle ground that we kind of want to exist, this gray area, simply isn't a thing. There isn't freedom to choose both. And here's the reason, and I think this is probably the most important part of the passage and the most important point of this message. It's that we are set free from sin for righteousness. Let me say that again. We are set free from sin for 
righteousness. Some really important prepositions there. The reason that we are redeemed from slavery, the reason that we are redeemed out of sin is in order to pursue righteousness, to live under its authority. Now let me explain why that is. See, you and I, all of humanity, we were created for one purpose and one purpose alone, to live within and experience the blessing of the reign of God. To live, say it with me, with him, under him, and for him. To experience his goodness and love and bring his perfect reign to the entire created order. If you've been part of the discipleship course on Sunday morning or or Wednesday evening, we've been talking about this a lot for the last several weeks, this purpose that we were created for. And God made us to experience freedom in the context of this purpose. He didn't make us to experience freedom in a vacuum. Freedom to choose anything we want to. Freedom from any outside influence. That's simply not a biblical concept of freedom. It's a human version. True freedom The kind of freedom that we see God call us to is the freedom to experience the good life that God wants to give us within the boundaries of his perfect reign. And sin is slavery because ultimately it robs us of this freedom. It takes us outside of this purpose. It holds us captive so that we live for sin. We live for ourselves. We live for these false idols and false masters, for pride, for vanity, for lust, for material gain, for pleasure. And when we live for these things, Paul says it's, it's like we're slaves because we do what those things tell us to. We live under their authority. And ultimately, we can't escape. And so the beauty of the gospel, the beauty of redemption, of being brought out of slavery, is that when Jesus died and we died with him, and when Jesus rose again and we rose with him, we were freed from this control. And free for the first time in human history since the Garden of Eden to live out our purpose. To live in and live for God's kingdom righteousness. And so in our passage, Paul says, hey, thank God for that. Thank God that we are set free from slavery so that we can go back to living for God. And this is really kind of the full picture of salvation. The full picture of redemption. Not simply being freed out of the grip of sin. Not simply being redeemed from the possibility of life in hell. But being freed for the righteous good life that we were all created to experience. And so what Paul is saying in our passage is that if we don't choose to live that life, if we don't embrace that life, if we continue to choose sin, if we reject obedience, if we reject holiness, if we reject faithfulness, then we haven't experienced freedom at all then we're still in slavery. 
I want you to imagine for a second that you're uh, going to go on a hike with a great friend. Actually, hold on. Let's back up a second. For some of you, first, imagine that you like hiking. That's an important assumption. So let's imagine that we all like hiking, that hiking is a good thing. I know it's a stretch for some of you, but okay, back to the imagination. Imagine that you're going to go for a hike with a great friend. You are in some beautiful place, maybe like Mammoth or Whistler or the Swiss Alps, wherever you want to be, somewhere beautiful. And you've got plans to hike to a beautiful alpine lake up in the mountains. And at this alpine lake, you'll have 360-degree panoramic views of, uh, of the valley below. And this is kind of a, a full-day hike. It's a long hike. So you've got a ton of water packed. You've got a nice lunch packed to enjoy when you get up to the lake. And you're with a great friend. You can't wait to see and experience this lake with your companion. So you set out for the hike, and immediately you're just overwhelmed by the beauty and joy of the experience. Now, it's a little bit of work. It's a challenge, maybe working up a little bit of a sweat. But the grade isn't too steep. There's a nice, cool breeze. And the company and the conversation is just perfect. And it's just, you stop and you say, man, this is, this is amazing. About an hour into a hike, you get hit with the most intense possible mountain storm. Starts pouring rain, thunder and lightning, 20 mile an hour winds. It even starts to hail a little bit and it's, you know, that sideways hail and it's, it's hitting you. And so you run off of the, the path to the side path where you find a little bit of cover under some trees. And you wait there. Now eventually, the storm passes and the sun comes out. And you think, thank goodness the rain is gone. I can finally go back to enjoying my hike. But then you kind of look around and you think, you know, this... This little side path isn't that bad. Now, I don't have a beautiful alpine lake to look at, but there's some pretty cool puddles here. I don't have a panoramic view of the valley below me, but, I mean, I can look at the trees. And best of all, man, I don't have to hike up thousands of feet. I don't have to do any more work. I could just stay here, and it's pretty nice. And so you sit there, and outside the, the sun is shining. It's beautiful again. The, the path has dried out, and it's clear. And, and your friend reaches his hand out to you and says, hey, let's keep going. There's so much more for us to see together. But you say, you know what? No, thanks. I think I'll stay. Now, even if you hate hiking, you probably understand the point. Sin was an interruption of a good, amazing, beautiful thing we were made to experience. What makes sin so bad isn't just that we're enslaved. It isn't just that it started raining. It's bad because we were kept from this beautiful purpose. 
and to be released from sin, to have the rain stop and the sun come out, and for us to say, hey, no thanks, I think I'll stay here, to be convinced that where we are is fine, and where we were headed to actually isn't that great. That's not freedom. At least not the freedom we were made to experience. Because the rain may be gone, but we are still stuck under its bondage. We are still living as if it's raining. The only true experience of freedom is getting back on the hard but joyful path of righteousness. And in many ways, this is the image that Paul is building for us. Two paths. One is very good, and one is very bad. Those are the only two choices. And he says the path of righteousness, what it leads to is eternal life. And the path of sin leads to death. Now, it's important to understand what he means here. So we hear eternal life and death, and we think heaven and hell. We think future, after we die. But more so than that, what Paul is talking about is our experience now. See this word eternal life. He's not talking about just a future event. Eternal life is life in the age to come. The life that Jesus inaugurated when he died and rose again. It's the life that we step into when we place our trust in him. When we come into his life. And so eternal life is what we're meant to experience now. It's a life of abundance, of blessing, of joy, of living out who we're called to be, living in the blessing that God made us for. Righteous living now is how we experience eternal life. And on the other hand is this path of sin. And this isn't just hell. It's not just death after we die although that's part of it. Paul isn't really saying that if you continue to sin, you're going to go to hell. What he's saying is that sin is death. Choosing sin is an experience of death. To stay in sin, to remain there, to be tolerant of sin and allow it in our lives is to experience what death is, brokenness, shame, anxiety, fear, worry, conflict. The more we allow sin to remain in our lives, the more we miss out on the abundant life, the more we experience the death of sin. This contrast is so powerful, and it's kind of heavy. It's a little bit scary, but Paul wants us to see that this is the reality of redemption. Two choices. To either be free from sin and live under God's righteous purpose for our lives or to be free from God's righteous purpose for our lives and enslaved by sin. In his commentary on Romans, Charles Talbert says, to think freedom 
is attained by jettisoning, jettisoning obedience to God, is to opt for sin as one's Lord. There are only two choices. As we kind of wrap up this morning, it's important that we understand what Paul is saying and, and why he's saying it. For many of us, Paul is giving us an encouraging reminder in our struggle with sin. As I said before, the question of this passage isn't so much the issue of struggling with sin, of wanting to be obedient, of wanting to follow Jesus, but coming up short. But at the same time, for those of us in that position, this is an amazing reminder of what Jesus did, of the life we can experience in him. Paul wants us to recognize, just as we talked about last week, that we are set free from sin, but we have also been given this eternal life, this ability to live in righteousness. He's saying, you can do that. That's your reality. That's who you are too. Not only do you not live here, but you live here now. And he's working towards Romans 8, which we're not going to get to today. I wish we could. But here he reveals one of the greatest gifts of the gospel, the Holy Spirit. And what the Holy Spirit is, is it's, it's the Christian's cheat code for living the Christian life, for living this path of righteousness. And as we build our way towards that, Paul wants us to feel that desire for righteousness, to feel that motivation to leave the chains of sin behind, to feel desperately that this path is what I want, not that one. And I'm not there yet, but, but how do I get there? Because in just a few short chapters, he's going to say, here's how. Let me show you who the Holy Spirit is. Let me show you what the Holy Spirit does. Let me show you how good God is in giving you a helper in this path. There is definitely a tone of hopefulness for those of us who are dealing with sin. But at the same time, we have to be honest. This passage serves as a warning. Paul wants to warn us to be careful. Be careful of this lie. He wants to make sure that any complacency about sin is rooted out of the person who's following Jesus. He wants to make sure there's no misunderstanding about the importance of obedience. There's no misunderstanding about the importance of righteousness. He wants to make sure that no one has heard the message of salvation in Romans 4 and 5 and said, cool, I guess I'm good now. I guess I'm free from sin so I can just do what I want. Because the scary truth is, there's a chance that if you've misunderstood this, then you've misunderstood the gospel completely. If someone doesn't care about sin, if they're not moved to obedience to pursue righteousness, then the question is, have they really been set free? Has sin been put to death? If there is no desire, then have they been given the gift of the Spirit through faith? 
Now, we are not saved by what we do. We're not declared righteous based on righteous works. But the Bible is clear. How we live, what we live for, who we live for, is the evidence of salvation in us. It's the proof that our faith is real and the proof that we have the Holy Spirit. And I know these are heavy questions, and I don't bring them up lightly. And my goal here isn't to define who is saved and who isn't, and what exactly the line of salvation is. But I do think we have to be honest even when it's uncomfortable. Because I think one of the biggest dangers for the modern church, for many Christians today, is trying to settle for this middle ground spirituality that doesn't line up with the gospel and ultimately ends up in slavery to sin. As we see the true gospel take shape in our study of Romans, we want to continue to embrace it in all of its fullness. And so this morning, this is what I want us to do, to stop and affirm this together. To say, hey, not that we're perfect, not that we are sinless, not that we've got it all figured out, but that we know which road we're on. That we are walking however slowly, however perfect, imperfectly, on the road of righteousness with our Savior. And so this morning, I, I want to repeat something we did last week that I thought was really cool. It's out of, as a body to confess out loud, to confess with our lips, and so to confess with our hearts the truth of the gospel. I think many of you out there will need to repeat these words as a reminder, as an encouragement of what Jesus has done and is doing in your life, of what it means that you are saved and redeemed, that you have been brought out from under the control of sin and that you have been placed under the control, into this life of righteousness. Some of you, I think, might need to confess these truths for the first time. To confess with your heart a commitment to walking with Jesus in everything he has for you. This path of righteousness and life. And again, not to commit to always getting it right, but to living for obedience, to using your freedom to be who God made you to be, to serve the king, to experience and be a blessing. And so if you are comfortable doing this, we're, we're going to say these words together. And I just want to say, if, if there's a part of you that's struggling to say this, it's important to ask why. It's important to ask what's holding you back. Is there sin in your life? That's enslaving you? Is there a lack of faith in who Jesus is and what he can do through you? Is there some kind of captivity that you are experiencing? 
Because Jesus wants you to, to redeem you from that. But it starts with recognizing it and addressing it. But so as a, as a body, as a church, let's go ahead and uh, read these words together. They're going to be uh, right up here on your screen. Say them out loud. I am in Christ. I died to sin with him, so I am not a slave to sin's power. I rose to new life with him, so I am free to live for his righteous purpose. Would you pray with me? God, we continue to just be in awe of your goodness, of your faithfulness. That you love us so much, that you are so committed to blessing us, to giving us the life we need, that you sent your son to redeem us, to save us from sin. And to give us the righteous purpose we so desperately need. God, we pray that you were, would open our eyes to see the beauty of this grace. The goodness of this life that you've invited us to. Would you continue to reveal to us the slavery of sin. The bondage of sin. Would you break down the appeal of sin, the appeal of life without you, the, the appeal of life devoted to other things? And God, would you continue to fill us with your spirit, to empower us to choose every day to take steps forward on this path of righteousness that you've placed us on? Continue to give us faith in who you are. And continue to teach us what it means to be your people. God, we love you. We're so thankful that you are a God of grace. That you are a God of freedom. That you are a God of blessing. In Jesus' name, amen.